This week in Retronauts, the real knowledge was treasure. Souls developer From Software has garnered a reputation as the gamer's game maker, and deservedly so, but forgotten amidst the concerns of a generation obsessed with 1080p resolution and 60 frames per second has been the original gamer's game maker, Japanese studio Treasure. Established in 1992 by a team of former Konami programmers and designers, Treasure has been courting the hardcore niche with the nichiest of hardcore games for more than two decades. Although you don't hear much of the company these days, their latest project has been the kind of quiet, Capcom unlocalized kid-oriented Geist Crusher series for 3DS. They've certainly earned their star in the walk of fame over the years. Heck, if you just looked at the game's treasure made for Sega Genesis, you have one of the most talented and capable developers ever, but they kept going beyond the 16-bit era, thriving where other studios fell aside. spoke of a deliberate commitment to iconoclasm. It began life by abandoning Konami while the company was in its prime. Seriously, practically everything 16-bit Konami produced was gold, but Treasure left to make even better games. Conventional wisdom said that the Genesis hardware had less power than Nintendo's Super NES. Treasure revealed this to be a lie, or at least a false assumption. In their hands, the stock Genesis processor could perform feats that other studios could only pull off for the Super NES's specialized components, add-on chips, or the Sega CD's subprocessor. Treasure matched their technical daring do with an equivalent level of sophistication and subtlety that made their games difficult to pick up casually. The mechanics of a treasure creation demanded attention. They expected players to commit themselves to the experience, to master the nuances of control. As a result, a treasure game often comes across as a hot mess at first glance, a dazzling explosion of visuals that dares you to try to find any joy in it. But stick with it and learn to appreciate the quirks that set Treasure's mechanics apart from seemingly more accessible games, you'll eventually come to appreciate the profundity of the company's design. Treasure games aren't for everyone, maybe they're not even for me. They can be frustratingly opaque at times. But they rightfully command a reputation for brilliance, with inventive scenarios and quirky control schemes that, once mastered, offer unparalleled options with just a three-button controller. Surprisingly, at the time of Treasure's inception, its founders all appeared to be fairly new to development. The most experienced of the team, founder Masato Maigawa, has credits that only go back to 1989, three years before Treasure was established. Maigawa served as a programmer on Castlevania The Adventure, a pretty terrible Castlevania for Game Boy, but despite its awful design and sluggish pace, 
Castlevania the Adventure was a technical marvel for its platform, by far the most visually impressive and ambitious game in the Game Boy's early days. You could see the seeds that would become Treasure and that all the Konami games the future Treasure team worked on. One of their earliest collaborations as a team was the arcade puzzler Korth, which took Tetris and added a shoot-em-up component to the mix. While Korth feels somewhat unfinished as a product, its central premise is unique and intriguing, like the best Treasure creations. And really, the unfinished feel of the game isn't out of character for Treasure either. Even the best of their projects have a tendency to come across as needing another round of finishing. Treasure's never been about the presentation, though. They invest their finesse in the rules of play, the bosses, the complexity of character and enemy interactions. Like FromSoft, they tend to care less about making their games pretty or easy to jump into, and prefer to reward players who look beyond the surface and grasp the underlying intricacies. You can see the future hallmarks of Treasure in games like Contra 3. That was basically a string of set pieces and boss battles, and it was programmed by future Treasure founders Mitsuru Yaida and Hideyuki Sugunami, or in Super Castlevania 4, whose odd marionette-like take on protagonist Simon Belmont was also programmed by Yaida. Future Treasure talent also worked on oddball light gun shooter Laser Invasion, visually arresting Super NES shoot-em-up Axelay, and unsung licensed NES gem Bucky O'Hare. If it was an action game that Konami made between 1989 and 1992, chances are good that someone who would eventually be part of Treasure had a hand in it. Bearing all of this in mind, Treasure has always been an eminently practical developer as well as an insanely talented one. They surely knew their unconventional approach to design wouldn't be an easy sell for everyone, so their first two games demonstrated the two-pronged face of Treasure. There was Gunstar Heroes, yes, possibly the most intricate and demanding action game that had ever been made to that point. Featuring cooperative two-player action with a mix-and-match weapon combo system and two different approaches to running and gunning, Gunstar Heroes treated players to an orgy of hardware-bursting technological tricks. Donkey Kong Country would debut a few months later and use its carefully manicured graphics to trick people into thinking the Super NES was far more powerful than was truly the case, but there was no chicanery in Gunstar Heroes. It really did feature a real-time battle, in which the playing field would constantly shift as you faced off against a massive robotic enemy, which could transform into more than half a dozen different combat configurations. It was a masterclass of game design. But alongside Gunstar Heroes, you also had McDonald's Treasure Land. While well-made, it was a decidedly normal platformer, well, mostly normal, based around the McDonald's hamburger franchise, of all things. The result was better than MC Kids for sure, but it was also no Gunstar Heroes. But it did pay the bills, and for a small studio like Treasure, that's important. If you look at the history of Treasure, you can see certain trends and themes taking form. While the company produced a few one-off works that never saw any sort of future development, like Oddball Genesis RPG Light Crusader, for the most part the studio has stuck to a few core strengths. There's the dense, complex platformer style, which saw its genesis with Gunstar Heroes and quickly evolved into Alien Soldier, a game that basically consisted of nothing but boss battles. Gunstar saw a direct sequel on Game Boy Advance, and it also had a successor in the form of games like Silhouette Mirage for Saturn. 
Similarly, one of their first licensed games was a four-player brawler on Mega Drive called Yu Yu Hakusho Makyo Toisen. That in turn had a few successors, including Rakugaki Showtime, a Japan-only multiplayer brawler action game in a similar vein. Then there was Dynamite Heady for Genesis, which might seem to fall more in line with Gunstar Heroes, but on closer examination, was a somewhat more normal platformer action games in terms of mechanics, and much weirder in terms of aesthetics. Heady served as the inflection point for Treasure's more experimental type action games, such as Wario World, Mischief Makers, and Stretch Panic. truest calling has been the shoot-'em-up, a genre it's explored with aplomb and style. Radiant Silver Gun remains one of the greatest shooters ever made, and its successor, Ikaruga, continued its dynamic color-themed play concepts. Meanwhile, the Bangai-O games took a totally different perspective on the shooter, not only by switching from vertical to horizontal format, but also by presenting itself as more of a puzzle than an action game. Bangai-O's stages were less battlegrounds than they were opportunities to create insane missile-spewing attack combos and rack up preposterous points. The company's shooter work reached peak perfection, perhaps somewhat ironically, as they returned to the Konami fold to create Gradius V for PlayStation 2. The result was one of the most accessible games Treasure ever developed, yet also the most inventive and nuanced chapter of the Gradius franchise. A perfect synthesis of parent and prodigal child, reunited in harmony. Even though Treasure's games became less technically accomplished as hardware evolved beyond the humble genesis, innovation never really went away. Sometimes Treasure can be so clever that it's almost baffling, such as with Bangayo Spirits for Nintendo DS. The creators of that old gym were determined to work around the limitations of Nintendo's friend system for swapping custom levels, so they gave players the ability to exchange level data in the form of sound files. Treasure has been quiet over the past five years, aside from some remakes of highly sought titles for last-gen consoles basically just been Geist Crusher. But still, the company is alive and kicking, and while they've mostly been silent of late, it's hard to imagine they'll stay submerged forever. In this new era of crowdfunding and indie games and a growing appreciation for precision game design, Treasure seems overdue for a glorious comeback, and certainly there's plenty of love for the company among those who know their roots. Indie darling Cuphead, for example, may look like an old Fleischer cartoon, but it plays like a pure homage to Gunstar Heroes and Alien Soldier, we can only hope that seeing such loving tribute is the nudge that Masato Maigawa and his team need to make their grand reappearance to gaming. Then again, even if Treasure never produces another game, their legacy will go down as one of the greatest ever. A catalog of intense games for serious game enthusiasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeremy Parrish for Retronauts, 
And you can find more podcasts at retronauts.com or thisgamer.net. You follow us on social media, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, etc. as Retronauts. And of course, this podcast is supported through crowdfunding via Patreon. We'll be back next week with a full-length episode. Mm-hmm.